0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Gospel of John, chapter number 15. For our text reading here today. Welcome uh, to what we're calling Tailgate Sunday here at Ambassador Baptist Church. And uh, every once in a while, we just like to have a little fun. How many of you believe Christians can have fun? All right, are we okay with that? And uh, so we're having a little fun today. We're going to have some tailgate barbecue afterwards. And so I hope many of you will join us for that. Uh, I came in and somebody said, You look like you're a coach for the Bulldogs. And and uh, I could see, you know, with my massive physique how some people uh, might think that. Uh, but I, I do realize I am missing something. Uh, that's a whistle. And uh, so, but uh, I'm looking forward to today. It's going to be a great time. Uh, over the last few months, we've been looking at a series really about growth and, and how do we grow in our Christian lives. It's really a study of the doctrine of sanctification, all right? And uh, those of you who maybe have been to seminary or Bible college or maybe have just done some in-depth institute type work, you understand that sanctification is the process by which Christians are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in their thoughts, in their behaviors, in their motives, in their values, in the essence of who they are. And so this series is attempting to tackle that huge topic about how sanctification actually takes place. And there are a lot of different views about how people grow into the image of Christ. And and so we're asking ourselves, what does the Bible say about how growth actually takes place? And we're going to be in John chapter number 15 for that. Have you ever uh, tried to change something about yourself? Have you ever been there before? Maybe in your health or, or maybe with your fitness, there's been a part of you you'd like to see change. Uh, some of you are familiar with this, you guys who have known me for quite a while. Uh, but when I was a teenager, I was rather on the short side, the extreme short side, to the point when I was 16 years old and I got my driver's license, I was a whopping four foot nine inches tall as a 16-year-old, and, and you've heard the stories before. I used to drive around with uh, two phone books, and uh, uh, Kaylin remembers those days, you know, and I used to put the phone books up, and I'd sit on top of the phone books, and we'd go driving around, and And I remember in those days so desperately just wanting to grow, you know. Uh, I had friends who had already hit their growths for years before, and I desperately wanted to see, and I remember trying everything. I remember as a kid hanging upside down from my bunk bed, thinking that maybe that would stretch me out enough to grow. Uh, On one occasion, no joke, my mom went and bought me probably a gallon size of alfalfa vitamins. And this is no joke. It was about this big filled with alfalfa vitamins and uh, she was convinced that maybe if I took enough of those alfalfa vitamins that maybe that would help me to grow. On one occasion, I watched a 2020, and uh, they were actually breaking people's bones and then using these splints to pull them apart and then the bone would grow in its place and people were actually getting taller and I remember thinking, maybe I'll try that if nothing else works, you know, and just, you know, getting desperate, how do I grow, you know, in my lives? And I think we've all had times where we've tried to change or we've tried to grow into something that we felt God had for us. And so that's really what this study is about, how change actually occurs. Now, before we get into our text reading here, I want to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background. At this point in Jesus' life, okay, when we come to the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, he and his disciples have already experienced Last Supper, okay? So that has already taken place chronologically, and they are now making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be betrayed. So they have left the city of Jerusalem. They're making their way to the outskirts of town. They're going to go to that garden where Jesus is going to pray, and ultimately Judas is going to betray him at that time. And as they're walking along, uh, Jesus shares with them one final lesson. So this is like the last lesson that Jesus gives to his disciple. It's the last little, I guess you could say, staff meeting, preaching session that Jesus gives to his disciples. Now, you can only imagine if, if you were listening to somebody's last words, and this, this was the last real piece of advice they wanted to give you, you'd probably lean in probably turn your ear toward them a little bit if you knew that this was going to be their last piece of advice before they died. And in essence, that's what this passage is. It is Jesus' last piece of advice to his disciples before he will go to the cross. And literally he's hours away from Calvary at this point. And so Jesus is going to use the agricultural metaphor of vine branches, and fruitfulness to speak to the type of results that our Christian lives should produce and the change that should take place if we are genuinely in Christ. So that's what we're going to kind of unpack today inside your service program that you should have received on your way in. There is an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study here today. I hope that it'll be a help to you as we study the word of God together this morning. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here as we read from John chapter number 15. Our text is going to be verses number four and verses number five, though we'll spend a little time in verses one through three uh, later on in the sermon. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, and verse number 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Notice verse 5. I am the vine ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Notice this last phrase. For without me, ye can do nothing. I want to say that together. I want you to take that last phrase publicly together. Let's say that last thing together. For without me, Ye can do nothing. This morning, I want to look at two different ways individuals approach spiritual growth in their lives, as mentioned in this passage. One approach the Bible is going to declare as fruitful. It it brings results. Uh, The other one uh, is not. That is, we could say it this way, one works, one doesn't. And we're going to look at both of the approaches that Christians tend to take toward growth and maturity in their Christian life. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our Bible study here today, shall we pray. Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful that you truly have given us, Lord, yourself. And part of who you are is you are joy. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would know how to rejoice, Lord, that we would be a church that has joy in you and, and knows what it is to have fun, Lord, in a way that will honor and glorify you. But Lord, more importantly, we don't want to look, Lord, to something lesser than Jesus. Lord, to be the source of true fulfillment. And so even this morning, we are looking to you to be our joy. We look to you, Lord, to be our hope. And we find in you, Lord, the rejoicing that our heart desperately desires. I pray that you would help maybe some individuals here today who are struggling with how to make change and how to grow a reality in their life. And I pray that your word would speak to them. And Lord, we would know what it is to see real growth and real change in you and you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. If you want to take your Bibles out, I want you to notice, first of all, is we're going to look at one approach to change and growth that works and one approach that does not. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 2 of John chapter number 15. Okay, So in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman, okay? So Jesus is saying, I am this vine. And you want to get the metaphor here, or else the whole sermon won't make sense. Jesus is using allegory to some degree here. He is, he is using metaphor to try to help us understand a very deep truth. And then in verse 2, he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit. So if your branch doesn't bear fruit, the Bible says here next... He taketh away. It's it's a Greek word, kero, which literally means to lift up. He takes it away, takes it up, the Bible says. And every branch that beareth fruit, he, here's the key word, purge it. He prunes it, we could say. And so here what God is saying and what Jesus is teaching is the fact that when you're Branch needs something, he's the one who supplies it. When when your branch falls into the mud, when your branch falls into the dirt, the husband he is the one who picks it up. He's the one who fixes things. When it needs pruning, you don't prune yourself. He prunes you, which kind of focuses us and reminds us of a very important truth, and that is anything that we see in our lives. If we're able to overcome sin, and if God does a work of pulling us out of the miry clay if if God does a work of pruning us that everything that is done in our lives is a work of God's grace. It really does start with Him. It's not about your effort and it's not about what you can do in the situation. It's not how you can pull yourself up out of the dirt or how you can pull yourself up out of the mire or how you can prune yourself or how you can fix yourself or how you can do this or do that, yes, that would lead to a very self-righteous approach to spiritual maturity. And so from the very first verse here in this passage, Jesus is reminding us that it is the husbandman. It is him that does the healing. It is him that lifts up. It is him that prunes. It is him that allows us to bear fruit. And this is vitally important if we're going to have an accurate paradigm of what this passage is teaching us. It all starts with God. The moment you start with, well, what do I got to do to get up out of this dirt? How do I, how do I pull myself up? Or, well, there looks like some pruning that needs to be done. How do I prune myself? You are already heading down the wrong path. When you start with, what do I got to do to fix this? You're already heading down a path that's going to hurt. The very paradigm of this passage is one that recognize that it all starts with God. Your healing, your pulling out of the dirt, your pruning that needs to be done, the change that needs to take place, all of it is of God. Notice verse 5. We read it a moment ago. Why? Because without me, ye can do nothing. It doesn't say you can do a little. It doesn't say, well, you can kind of give it your best shot. God is literally saying, without me, why am I so important to this thing of change? Why am I so important to sanctification? Why am I so important to spiritual maturity? Because without me, you can't do anything. You're helpless. You're hopeless. And you have nothing to offer your growth. It's all of him, which leads us to the first thing many people try when it comes to growing. And that is some people attempt to change themselves. See, that's what Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing here the reality that the disciples were going to be prone to try to fix themselves that the disciples were going to be prone to try to heal themselves that the the disciples were going to be prone to try to get themselves up out of the muck and mire and they would forget in a in a spirit of the you know self-dependence and a spirit of self-righteousness they would begin to believe that they could do this Christian life thing on their own and yet what they were forgetting was that without Christ they would be able to do absolutely nothing there was nothing they could do some people though even though they know this academically still attempt to change themselves by themselves and the problem with attempting to change yourself by yourself is that holistically it's impossible you might be able to tweak a little of your outward behavior. And so that's where most Christians start. I'll tweak this about what people can see, and I'll tweak that about what people can see, because at the end of the day, it's pretty easy to change the facade. It's very easy to kind of change what people can see, the image. It's easy to masquerade. But deep down, we know we can't change our values. Deep down, we know we can't change our desires. Deep down, we know we can't change our motives. Deep down, we know we can't change the things that actually matter. And so what we tend to do, if we're not careful, is we just kind of put, we change things on the outside real quick to kind of give the impression, to put an image on, that really all does is just masquerade the fact that no real change is taking place on the inside. Because we can't change ourselves holistically. How many of you have ever had a time where you ran out of gas anybody else ever been here before driving down the road you thought you had enough make it there to the next you know stop and and it, boom, you just out of gas and, and you've been there. How many of you have had the, the unlikely event of running out of gas and then also having to push your car uh, to some place maybe I remember on one occasion I wasn't too far from the gas station it was it was it was close enough that it wasn't worth you know, getting a tow truck and I could see the gas station and so you just start pushing your vehicle toward that gas station and, and you're pushing it and every once in a while maybe somebody will jump out and they'll help you push it along and, and it's, it's quite frustrating, is it not, where you're, you're taking this car, it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be transporting you and instead you are transporting it and, and something in the universe just isn't right, you know, pushing this thing along. And the reality is, you can get it to move to some degree, but it's just not the way a car is designed to work. In fact, if you had to push your car everywhere you needed to go, it wouldn't be long until you didn't have a car anymore. (laughs) Because that's not what cars are supposed to do. What's sad is, being a pastor here for over a decade now, I see a lot of Christians or metaphorically speaking, pushing their Christian life along. Propping it up with this, pushing it in self-righteousness through this, and their Christian life is exhausting. It's tiresome. It's draining their energy because they view their Christian life as well, God told me to do this, and so I'm gonna do it. You know, I don't feel like it. I don't desire it. I don't value any values. I don't, not, I don't think it's even alright, but God said so, so I guess I'll do it. And you're just kind of propping your Christian life along, pushing along, and you wonder why your Christian life is such an utter drudgery at times, and here's why. Because that is not the way God designed the Christian life to work. And yet, With that being said, some people still attempt to change themselves by themselves. You see, life change doesn't begin with focusing on yourself or with fixating on your own sin. Now, this is really important. In fact, I might even throw this on the screen here. And I hope you'll understand. Obsession with sin or self, whether indulging in it, or obsessing with abstaining from it. So let's pause for right now. I want, to, I want to get us all on the same page for just a moment. So some people obsess with sin, right? They're obsessing with this thing, they're an addicted, they're addicted to this, and they just obsess with that sin. Uh, maybe it's gossip and, and you're just obsessed with gossiping to whoever you can gossip to or whatever you can gossip about. Other people, you're just obsessed with materialism and getting this and getting that, and it's an obsession with these types of things. And, and some, it's just obsessed, obsession with pride and with arrogance. And so some people are authentically obsessed with some form of sin, but this is not what we're addressing. Obsession with sin, whether indulging in it or abstaining from it. So here's what a lot of Christians do. Oh, I just don't want to gossip. ah, Why do I always do this? I can't understand why I can't get victory over it. And you obsess with abstaining from it. Addicts will often fall into this category. They don't even want it. They realize it's unhealthy. They don't want anything to do with it. And so they're obsessed with trying to abstain. And for like, well, one hour, I was able to go one hour, you know, and uh, one day and they're just, but they're so fixated on it. They're so focused on it. And can I say this obsession with sin in any of its forms, whether indulging in it or abstaining from it steals the focus from Christ. And places the focus on how I am doing rather than on what Christ has done. This is highly counterproductive in the process of spiritual maturity and change. I need us to understand this because there are unrighteous people running around and they're just super indulging in sin, and we under, understand that's unrighteous. And then we get these other Christians and they're obsessed with abstaining from it. How can I abstain from it there? And how can I? And it's like their whole life is lived. But you know what they end up focusing in on at the end of the day? If I were to tell you right now, don't think about a cat. What visual image just popped into your head? A little furry thing. How cute. It's, It's much the same way with sin. By indulging, obsessing with how you're going to abstain from it is not ultimately the goal. If you're struggling and there's an area where you want to grow, yes, you don't want to you don't want to obsess with indulging in it. We understand that's unrighteous. It's unhealthy. It's not going to lead you to where God has for you to be. But the the op, the other option is not to obsess with abstaining from it either. All that's going to do is lead you to a place where you're right back in it doing it again because it's not the victorious path. Oh here's what we need to do. We need to focus on Christ and place the focus on how I am do and, and fo- place the focus on Christ rather than what I have done for Christ here's what needs to happen when I'm struggling with obsessing in sin or trying to abstain from it I need to move from both extremes and say God I need to fix my eyes on you looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher the starter and the completer the goal is not to fixate on your sin or focus on abstaining from sin the focus must be the person of Jesus Christ every time every day for every moment focusing on him, looking to him, obsessing with him, and allowing him to change you from the inside out. It's Jesus. Some Christians attempt to change themselves, though, by themselves. So, if you can't change yourself, if you're struggling with a hurt that's causing you to get bitter and gossip, if you're struggling with a habit that's that isn't healthy for your marriage or healthy for your family, if you're struggling with a hang-up that is hurting your body physically and destroying you from the inside out, whether it's a hurt, whether it's a habit, whether it's a hang-up, I want to say to you today, there is victory in the person of Jesus Christ. Not obsessing by indulging in it, not obsessing with abstaining from it, but by obsessing and fixating on the person of Jesus Christ. Look to him. Now, sometimes the spirit of God will give us a glimpse of our sin, like we talked about two weeks ago. He'll allow us to see our sin for what it really is. And that's a good thing. It's spirit filled conviction. But that is supposed to bring us to focus back on him. The the, the author, finisher of our faith, the healer, And the great physician. God doesn't bring conviction so we can wallow in our sin. Wallow in our misery. No, he gives us that moment so we can understand I'm crushed by my sin. I'm crushed by my guilt. I'm crushed by my shame. I need something bigger. I need something more. I need Jesus. He is the great hope. He is it. So how do we change? Let's keep reading verse number five. He says in verse number five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Notice this. Um, He that abideth in me and I in him. I love this phrase. The same bringeth forth much fruit. All right. So in this passage here, we're saying much fruit it's 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 a metaphor for the fact that your life is is producing what god desires for your life to produce your life is being what god wants it to be it is getting results it is making an impact here in people's lives we tend to think that trying harder or being more dedicated is what produces results right because that's like the american way if i just try a little harder if I just give it a little more, maybe my life will produce better results. But I, I want to say this. According to this passage, what produces the best results in life? To become what God has ordained us to become is not a process of trying harder or a process of doing more. It is a process of abiding. Notice what it says. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. This verse is teaching something very different than what the, you know, kind of normal self-help approach to change would teach you. That approach would tell you to try harder, look in the mirror, tell yourself you're a champion. And what this verse is saying, you know, you you, you really want your marriage to bear a lot of fruit. You really want your, your family to really bear fruit. You really want to bear some fruit when it comes to your work and your career, you want your life to really get results, you want your life to make an impact, you want your life to really accomplish something, be fruitful, the Bible says, it's not about trying harder, it's about doing more, he says, I want you to abide, in you. which leads us to our last thought this morning, and that is this. While there are some who attempt to change themselves by themselves, we must abide in Christ to see real, lasting change take place. This is the plan of the Bible. Now, it goes against pop psychology. It goes against modern self-help. But if you want to know the foundation of all spiritual maturity, the foundation to growing into the image of Jesus Christ, it's found in John 15. Abide in me and I in him because the same bringeth forth much fruit. It's the foundation for growth. You see, Christ is what changes us. The Bible says it this way. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Glory. Our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is not with what we can willpower ourselves into. Our hope is in resting in Jesus and yielding, surrendering, allowing him to do a work in us that we can't do in in ourselves and allowing him to do a work through us that we couldn't do through ourselves. It all is about Jesus. Spending time in the presence of God is what makes the biggest impact In our lives. It makes a bigger impact than just dedication. It makes a bigger impact than just trying harder. Abiding in Christ ultimately changes the deep hidden parts of our lives. It changes the deep parts of those values. It changes the deep parts of our soul. Which is our thinking and our behaviors. And our worldviews And our values. And our motives. And our desires. It changes the part of us that no matter how hard we try, we'll never change on our own. And this is why abiding in Christ ultimately produces the greatest holistic, lasting change. Because Jesus can change what I cannot change. You see, that's a little confusing to me. We um, might have some farmers in the room. And if you've ever had a time where you've worked on grape vines, which is kind of the metaphor Jesus is using here, it might make a little more sense. So, Imagine for a moment, the vine, who's the vine? Speak to me for a moment. Yeah, Christ, Jesus is the vine. The vine on a physical, you know, great vine would go into the earth. Its roots would go down. And then the branches would come off of that vine. Now think about this for a moment. In the physical metaphor, in the physical illustration, what happens is, from the ground, the vine then pulls nutrients from the ground. It pulls water it pulls the nutrients, it pulls the food from the ground up through those roots. The life-giving sap then flows through the vine, into the branches, and that sap is what allows the fruit to be born. Are you following this? Now think about this. If the branch's connection to the vine is very small, is, it, is very much sap going to be able to get through? No. If the connection is tiny, then only so much life-giving sap can get through. And as the branch widens its connection to the vine, as that connection to the vine gets wider and wider and wider, the more life-giving sap can flow through the vine and into the branches, thus making it possible for greater and more fruit to be produced in the life. This is why some of the juiciest, nicest grapes that you'll see come off the large branches because those large branches were able to take that life-giving sap up through the vine and into the branches in that way it had that sap that could feed that fruit now here's my point you want to bear a lot of fruit in your life that little branch could say to itself i'm going to try really hard i'm going to disconnect myself from the the vine there and i'm going to try to do this on my own can, can, the only way it's going to produce greater amounts of fruit than it did last year, last season, is if it increases its connection to the vine. And I want to say this, and I think Jesus was on to something here. Because you've got a lot of Christians running around, and I'm going to say this, I actually think there are probably Christians running around who who maybe try harder than I do. There might be Christians running around who try harder than you do. And yet do not Experience the same spiritual results because it's self-effort. It's well intentioned, it's well meaning. It comes from a good heart. But they're trying, and they're tr- trying to produce fruit in their family, and they're trying to produce fruit in their marriage, and they're trying, and it's 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 almost like trying to duct tape fruit to a tree. It's kind of what it's like when I'm, when I'm watching Christians kind of do this. Wow, look at my tree. And I'm sitting there thinking, ah, there's a bunch of duct tape around each of the apples. Spiritually speaking. Because man, they're manufacturing this in the, in the flesh. And so we, we talk about this a lot, right? When we manufacture it in the flesh, we do this good deed, but then it's laced with pride and vanity and selfish motives. And oftentimes it comes with a superiority complex. See, these are all the, this is the duct tape that holds that fruit there. And so while technically it's, yeah, okay, there's fruit, yeah, technically there's a form of something there, nobody would want to eat it. Because honestly, when you go to reach out, it's, it's like one of those pieces of fruit that your grandma used to have on the centerpiece in her table, you know, the plastic foamy ones. And it looked really good from a distance. It wasn't the real thing. This is, this is the type of fruit that a lot of Christians in the 21st century are producing. From a distance, it looks okay. Wow, look, they look at them. They look they have a form of godliness. But you get up close and you start seeing the tape, you see it laced with the arrogance and the pride and the superiority, superiority complex. All of a sudden there's a judgmental attitude and a critical spirit, and you're like, Yeah, it looks like fruit, but something's wrong. And Jesus said, This is not how ultimate change happens. Not holistic change, not lasting change, not genuine change. He says, You want to know how to change? Increase your connection to the vine. The greater the connection to the vine, the more of God's life-giving sap, the more of his spirit can flow in, flow through, and produce greater amounts of fruit. Now, will the spirit lead you into behavioral activity? Yes. And when the spirit leads you, respond to the spirit. There is a physical component to this whole thing. But to try to get ahead of God, leads to self-righteousness, arrogance, and pride. Can I say this? Your focus as a believer needs to be on daily abiding in the vine. God, am I connected to you more than I was a year ago? Are you giving me the grace to connect with you in a bigger, greater way? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it is through that connection that you have with the vine. God... Jesus Christ, the connection you have to him, his spirit flowing in, doing a work in you, his spirit flowing through, and then allowing your life to produce fruit for your children and produce fruit at your workplace and produce real fruit in your church and real, lasting, genuine change because you can't do it. Without him, we can do nothing. But I love this. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same, bringeth forth much. Some of you have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and that will be the rest of your story if you don't understand that your hope is Jesus. (laughs) Connecting to him, abiding in his presence. What what does that look like practically? It's just simple. Oh, that we would abide with him in prayer. That we would say, God, I'm not just praying just to get something, I want to be with you and I want to talk with you and abiding with him in prayer. Getting into the Word of God for the purpose of knowing Him more deeply. Getting into this book so you can know your Heavenly Father in a more intimate way and develop your connection, your relationship with Him. Oh, worshiping Him in song for who He is. It's Yeah, it's a good thing to worship God on a Sunday morning at 10.30, but oh, that we would have Christians that would be worshiping Him on a Monday morning and they get the bad news at the office. That would worship him for how great he is when they get home and all of a sudden the spouse isn't quite in the happiest mood. And that they would worship him on a Thursday when somebody at church doesn't quite, you know, respond to them the way they would like to be responded. That we would just, that we could worship him in all times. For who he is, for what he's done. Thanking him for what he's done. I love what the Bible says in Psalms 100. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise. One of the ways we enter into his presence, one of the ways we abide with him in a deeper way, in a more significant way, is by simply thanking him. Rejoicing in who he is. Articulating our gratitude. Do you realize you can articulate gratitude to God when you're driving to work on a Wednesday morning? Abide with him. Just take time to be still. and Know that he is God, as the psalmist says. Meditating on the new person he has made you to be in Christ. You know, it's not wrong just to sit and meditate. Joshua 1 verse 8 talks about this. Just meditating. Being still, knowing that he is God. Thinking about the new creature he has already made you to be reaffirming that identity deep within your soul, reminding yourself afresh and anew, you are not who you used to be, but Christ has made you something new in Him, and reminding yourself daily of that new reality by faith. John 15, dwelling on His great love for you. And I would hope that not too much time could pass before you are really dwelling on the cross afresh and anew. If you've gotten tired of the cross... If thinking about Jesus' sacrifice for you is just becoming old hat, it might be that you've lost the wonder of what this whole thing is all about in the first place. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says it this way Why is abiding so important? Here's what it says Whosoever abideth in him, notice this, sinneth not. You know why you struggle with unhealthy habits? You know why you cross the boundary? Because you're not abiding. Whosoever abideth in him, sinneth not. When you're abiding, he keeps you safe. He does a work in you and through you that you couldn't do on your own. Now, I'm going to throw this on the screen because this is kind of the culmination of this entire sermon here. And I want you to get this. Spiritual maturity and growth is not a character trait to develop. It is the natural byproduct of regularly being in the presence of Jesus. See, a lot of Christians run around and they think, I need to add this fruit to my life. I need to add the fruit of love. And I need to add the fruit of joy. And I need to add the fruit of peace. And I got I to gotta work on it. I got to develop it. I got I to gotta make this thing happen. Remember what the Bible says. The fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit love joy peace it's not it's not a character trait to develop i gotta work hard at being more joyful i gotta try harder at being more filled with peace here's what you need you need more of jesus more time in his presence the reason you're bothered by the person who cut you off is because you haven't spent enough time in the comforting peace that jesus gives and the reason you want to gossip about this person so much is because you have forgotten what Jesus has done for you when you were at odds with him. It's a, you're not abiding. Spiritual maturity is not a character trait to develop. It is a fruit, a natural byproduct of regularly being in the presence of Jesus. I want to encourage you with this how do you need to allow the presence of Jesus to saturate your motives? How are you going to allow him and his presence to saturate your values, your worldview, your thinking, your attitudes, your identity? Spiritual maturity is the byproduct, it's the fruit of regularly being in the presence of Jesus. So, You can either attempt to change yourself by yourself, but the Bible says, without me, you can do nothing. Or you can abide in Christ and allow him to change you from the inside out. I'm here to say this. When God begins to change your values, what's important to you, and he begins to change your desires, he begins to change your motives, and he begins to change your attitudes, and he begins to change your identity, the way you see yourself, guess what? Your behavior... It's just going to kind of happen. Because behavior is just the fruit of the heart. That's why the Bible says guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Any behavioral issue that you're experiencing right now, whether it be gossip or materialism or a drug habit or this unhealthy thing or, uh, uh, you know, overspending or, you know, with your physical health, any exterior physical thing that you're facing, all kind of stems from something in, in the heart. Now, where does God want to start? He wants to start from the inside out. I put this on the screen and then and then we'll be done. One of the best ways to be serious about your spiritual growth. you say I really do want to change. I really do want to grow. One of the best ways to be serious about your spiritual growth is to be preoccupied with Jesus, not your spiritual growth. People who obsess with their spiritual growth rarely grow. People who obsess with Jesus grow. Because Jesus is our life. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is the culmination of what we want to experience in this reality. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus' work for you. More than on your work for him, preoccupation with God produces godliness. Some of you are so tickled about everything you do for God, it just and you are so impressed with yourself. Woohoo! You're a fancy Christian. You say, what, "You're being a little bit snarky." I know I am but it's kind of the way the world looks at us, right? Here's the point. It's not about what we do for Jesus. It really is about what Jesus has done for us. Focusing on that and then yielding to what he wants to do through us. You actually don't do anything for God. If you think you have, it's self-righteousness. And when something has actually happened, it wasn't you doing something for God, it was God doing something through you. So there's no point to glory. It was all Him. There's nothing to get arrogant about. There's nothing to be all proud about. Preoccupation with God produces godliness. You want to conform to the image of Jesus? I know for me... I wake up every day with a desperate desire to want to be like Jesus. And I just the law crushes me on a daily basis because I realize I fall so short. And if I'm not careful in my self-righteous paradigm, I can wake up and think, okay, I gotta do this and this and this and this, and I'll become a little bit more like Jesus. And can I say this? First and foremost, the foundation of becoming godly and like Christ is simply preoccupation and spending time in the presence of God. That's where it all starts. This is where it all begins. And some of us are so busy doing something for God, we have no time to be anything with God. I'm busy being a mom for God. I'm busy being a dad for God. I'm busy at my workplace doing something for God. I'm busy here doing this for God. Great, that's not bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not producing godliness. It might be the fruit of what God's doing in you, you really want to change, I mean a deep change. I'm talking heart change. I'm not just talking about shallow masquerade exterior type change that just will just really irritate people at your workplace. Because that's about, that's a lot of what our change actually only occurred. They're like We change just enough to irritate people around us. That's the extent of our change. Just We change just enough on the outside to really bug people to death. <laughs> But nothing deep. No real love is emerging, no real peace, no real joy, no real fruit of the spirit. Just something quirky in our personality gets, you know, revved up. And Jesus has something more for you: deep heart change. Because preoccupation and spending time in the presence of God, that is what produces ultimate, deep godly change. So. If you find that your Christianity exhausts you, if you're here today and you are exhausted by Christianity, if you find that Christianity drains you of your energy, just going to church and just doing Christian things drains you of energy, then you may be attempting to change yourself rather than abiding in Christ and allowing Him to change you from the inside out. If if your Christian life is exhausting, then you're not doing it the way God designed for it to be done. He said His yoke is easy his burden is light now i'm not saying you won't have to carry your cross but he'll be carrying it with you if it just is this drudgery something's wrong he wants to change your heart from the inside out he wants to change your desires in a way that what you, what used to be a drudgery now is a delight See, some of you are scared because you're like, if I surrender to Jesus, he's going to make me do all these things I hate. No, you surrender to Jesus, and he will change your desires. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't make you do something you don't want to do. He gives you a new heart, new desires, new motives. He gives you something new, and guess what? It changes Imagine if I told my, five, I had a five, I, my son, Landon, turned five on Friday. i got to spend a little time with him on Friday. It was a great time. He's not super fond of all vegetables, but he loves ice cream. So we got some ice cream on his birthday and we had a good time with it. But what about if I were able, and I can't, but for sake of illustration, what if I were to be able to change my son's taste buds so that every time he ate broccoli, to his tongue, it tasted like ice cream? Would I have to make him eat his broccoli? He would want it. This is what Jesus does when you allow him to change your heart. I could never go to church every week. Man, for like reals. Here's what's crazy. Jesus begins to change your heart. He doesn't make you go to church when you don't want to. He starts, if you allow him and you surrender, he just, he changes you from the inside out. That, that, this is how Jesus works. And, and so if you've experienced a Christianity that's all about you, just kind of, through your Christian life, because I know it's miserable, but at least I'm better than everybody else. <laughs> you don't get it. Preoccupation with God. And His presence is what produces Godliness. Nothing but spending time in the presence of Jesus... And continually responding to him will ultimately change your heart and your life from the inside out. This is your only hope. Willpower, it'll work for a little while, but then it'll fail. Self-discipline, it might change some surface things, but deep down it won't be able to change the real parts of your heart. And so even though on the surface you might look different, deep down you're just going to still be a horrible person to want to be around and nobody's really going to like you. But at least you'll feel good about yourself because you'll know you're better than them. I want to say this. Responding to his presence, abiding in him, is what changes everything. Let me say this. Even when you don't abide, you say I failed. I want to say this. Even when you don't abide, the Bible declares that he abides faithful. You say, I haven't been abiding. Well, praise God that Jesus. He abides faithful. He is always ready and willing to abide with us even when we have not been faithfully abiding with him. And if you're here today and you're like I haven't been abiding, here's the great thing, it's not about you, it's about Jesus and Jesus abides faithful. He's ready and willing to abide with you in this moment. You say I haven't I haven't I haven't abided with him. I haven't spent time with him. I've been ignoring him for a decade. Thank God for the wonderful mercy of Jesus. So That's no fair. I've been in church every Sunday for the last 10 years, and you're telling this person they just get a free pass? That is the scandalous nature of grace. So, how is God leading you to abide with him more deeply this week? How is your branch going to connect to his vine in a greater, more authentic way this week? Maybe you're here today and you've never had your vine atta- attached to the, your, your branch attached to the vine. And I'm speaking metaphorically, but maybe here's what I mean: You don't have a relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ. That, that is how you get your branch attached to the vine. It is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And putting your faith and trust in Him and Him alone to be your Savior. That is God's plan for reconciliation. That is His plan for connecting you to Him. And if you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, this would be a wonderful day to begin that relationship. Put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone to be your Savior. To be the one that gives you your strength and energy. To be the one who empowers you to be and do what you could never be and do on your own. So if you don't have a relationship with God, here's the day it can start. And if you do, but you thought, well, I started the relationship when I got saved and now I've got to do all these things to bear fruit in my life, can I ask you to repent of that paradigm of thinking? And yield yourself once again to abide with Him. To get preoccupied with Him fresh and anew again. And this week, dive into this week with a fresh yieldedness, fresh dedication to spend time in the presence of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Shall we pray?